The title of the message is Imagine a Loving Father. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And I want to talk to you today and start getting you thinking about the word imagination and everything that imagination means in our lives. There's a small art organization that goes into the public schools in very tough, very economically deprived neighborhoods that teaches art therapy. And they do this because people who live in the hood or they live in the ghetto or whatever term that you want to put on these economically disadvantaged areas, they have been crushed by poverty. So they cannot imagine anything else but this poverty and this oppression and this mindset of being in the ghetto has just totally crippled them to be able to see that there's anything else in life. So that these kids are brought into the class and they begin by closing their eyes and they enter into what is called an imagination statement. And there the teachers teach them that they have no limits. To take away the limits that they think they have. Take away the titles that they think they have. Take away the fact that you might not be a cool kid. Take away the, 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 this idea that you might not be worthy. Take away this idea that you might be poor. Just totally throw all of this away and that you will have no limits in your life. That you can do anything you want. Nothing is holding you back from your potential. And you're going to have the same opportunities as anyone in this school or any other school, no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, no matter if you have good parents, bad parents, or somewhere in between, you have every opportunity that anyone else has. And when they did this, in their own time, they started to imagine more. And it was transforming the way that they see the world. And these kids were starting to succeed, starting to see that they could be something more than what they were. And that's the power of imagination. Imagination is powerful to us because it invites us to see the potential of a new story in our lives. Imagination welcomes the impossible. That we serve a God who wants to do even more through us and in us than we could ever possibly imagine. Let's open in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for the creators of that movie. I thank you, Father, that they brought the truth of Scripture to life in such a dramatic and powerful way. And I ask, Father, as we study your word, we're not studying a Hollywood production, we're not studying a movie, we are studying what you say in your word regarding this. I ask, Father, that you bring your word to life in us, that you allow the word of God to penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, that you help it to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to see how Jesus, in his humanity, imagined more for the world around him, and how that shaped a new legacy, a new story, and a new understanding of God in every single person that he met, and even us 2,000 years later. But before we can begin looking at what Jesus imagined for others, we have to look at what God himself, as the loving Father of Jesus, imagined for him. And that's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 3 at the baptism of Jesus. Now there are a few things that I want you to consider that we need to know before we dive in. 
Between the end of Matthew chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, a lot has happened. The end of Matthew chapter 2 tells us that Joseph and Mary moved to a small village in Nazareth. Jesus was raised there, and with the exception of a story of, about Jesus as a 12-year-old in the temple that Luke tells us about, we really don't hear any more stories of Jesus' formative years, of him growing up as a teenager or even as a young adult man. We go right into Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is now an adult, and his cousin John the Baptist is obediently preparing the way for when Jesus will begin his public ministry to others. John the Baptist played a key role in preparing for Jesus' ministry because John invited people to imagine the one who would come and bring even more than just repentance for sins, the one that would bring redemption to everyone, the one that would win everyone back to God the Father. In Matthew 3, verses 11 and 12, John the baptizer is speaking. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now remember, John the Baptist is developing a very large following. Even though it was out in the desert where few people lived, this wasn't a guy that was standing on the, the main thoroughfares of Jerusalem. This guy is way out in the boonies, and people are walking way out into the boonies to see this man and, and to be taught by him. And as people came to him, he continued to, the point, or to point to the one that was to come. As he preached a message of repentance, he continued to remind people that there was one even greater than he, one that had even more to offer than John ever could. And that person was Jesus. And Jesus enters the scene in verse 13. Continuing in Matthew, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and how do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now the word for righteousness in Greek is dikonosune. I've been practicing that. Dikonosune. Dikonosune is incredibly important for us to know because it is the understanding of what it means to live right or be obedient to God. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, this word is, was used as a way to describe obedience to the Father. We already know at this point that John was simply doing what the Lord had called him to do and preparing the way for his Son. So then when Jesus said to John, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all dikonosune, even if John didn't fully understand why, he did it out of dikonosune to Jesus just as Jesus did it out of dikonosune to God, that he wanted to be obedient, that righteousness and obedience were intrinsically tied with one another. Verse 16 and 17 says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and alighting on him. And with a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In verse 17, we see the first glimpse of how Jesus' obedience to God revealed what God had imagined for Jesus. It is at this moment, as Jesus is obedient to baptism, that we hear three things about the Father's heart for His Son, Jesus. And the first thing we learn is that God identifies with Jesus. We read in the text that immediately after Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God descends on Him like a dove. And a voice from heaven spoke out these words, This is my Son, I want you to remember back in time when you might have been in love with somebody. For example, the first time I heard Tammy call me her husband after we got married, it was just very special to me. We had been together for years, but when she said, this is my husband, John, it, had a, it just signified I had a very special place in her heart that no one else got to go into and I was very special to them. And many of us that are married or have been married have had that experience. We were identified as someone who was very special in the eyes of the world. And in this text, we see God identify with Jesus and say, this is my son. It wasn't just saying, you know, yeah, that kid over there is my son. This is a cry of God's heart saying, this is my son. I am pleased with him. I am proud to say this is my son because he is fulfilling all those righteousness. Jesus' obedience and baptism was that symbolic representation that he too identified with his father. Neither one of them were ashamed to call each other father or call each other son. And it was out of Jesus' understanding of whose he was that he could live confidently on who he was. He had to understand that he was of his father and that, he, and that his father was of him. It, it magnified and, and, and showed and guided him throughout his entire life here on this earth. And as we talk over the next few Sundays about stepping out and living out all that God imagines for us, we must first start here with the foundational point where Jesus models for us what it looks like to be a child of God. And not only does God identify with Jesus, God identifies with us through Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3.26, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God, through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's an incredible promise and assurance for all of us to just hold on to, to cling to, to, to anchor ourselves to in the midst of these life storms that we go through. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter what you make at your job, what you do for a job, what you wear, or what you drive. Let this soak into your hearts and into your souls. God identifies with you. And He wants you to identify completely with Him. 
Let me give you an example of this. When you get a new job somewhere, you're given certain privileges of working at that company. Maybe if you work for a cell phone company, a lot of people who work for a cell phone company, they get their cell phones for free at that point. They get their cell phone service and they get discounts on the cell phone itself. And they use that privilege for their advantage. They don't turn that away. That's just part of, of working for that place. Or if you work for a restaurant, you might get free or discounted food if you bring your family in. It's a, it's a nice little perk about having that kind of a job. If you work retail, you might get discounts on the things that, that you uh, buy there. Like my brother-in-law used to work at Walmart. He got a certain percentage off every time he swiped his employee ID. Um, whenever we'd go shopping, we would get a percentage of that off. One of the reasons I'm a member of the fire department is it opens doors that I can never step into just as a pastor. For example, I have access to practical things like lightweight tables, chairs, coolers, like the one we use for our movie night on Friday night. If something were to happen to this church building, we could easily just go and have them at the day have church at the day room of the fire department. We have advantages of the positions that we have in life. We are to take advantage of those for the kingdom of God. And when you commit to following Jesus with your life, God calls you his child. He identifies with you and He calls you His. You are just as much of a son and daughter of God as Jesus ever is or ever was. But some of us and some of you are not living with the identity that God has given you. We let ourselves be weighed down with anxiety. We allow ourselves to be crippled by fear, wrestling with purpose, and, and just feels like we're just walking through life in a cloud, barely holding on to our faith. Rather than living out the identity of God's child, we turn to the things of this world and become slaves of the things that, the, that God is trying to set us free from. In other words, we're not living or taking advantage of the position that God has given us. We have not lived up to what Jesus has sacrificed himself to rid us of, to rid us from all the things of this world. And at the time that Jesus came to John, John didn't fully understand why Jesus wanted to be baptized by him. He didn't get it. As John said, I need to be baptized by you. How come you're, you're coming to me? But Jesus knew this action of baptism would validate all of John's teaching. It had to happen. So there was that smooth transition between John's teaching and what he was about to enter into and start teaching the people. And it would point people to Jesus as one that was even greater than John. Jesus was, would be the one that would baptize with the Holy Spirit. But only if in his humanity, he remained obedient to the Father's will. And by submitting to baptism, Jesus acknowledged God's claim on his life and being obedient. Even though John felt inferior to Jesus, he did not feel embarrassed by the fact that Jesus wanted to do, wanted to do what God asked of him. In the same way, you don't need to be embarrassed by living obediently out of your identity as a child of God. How many people have seen a child wobble toward an electrical outlet and start to like poke something in there? You ever see a child do that? Oftentimes, what keeps them from being electrocuted as a parent 
that is close by to protect and guide them and put safety things in those plugs. But it's not really for years later that a child actually begins to understand why it is dangerous to stick a fork into an electrical socket. They don't have the understanding yet, but they know that their parents are looking out for them and, and love them and, and we're trying to keep them from harm. This situation is similar to what happens in our adult lives now. As God guides us away from the dangers of this world, even when we don't understand why He is doing it at the time. You say, God, why aren't you letting me experience this? Why are you shutting this door? Why are you seeming to make my life so hard if I just had this thing over here that I've been working toward and, and an opportunity that, that presented itself to me? If I just got this, I'd be happy. I'd be full of joy. I'd be, I, I, I wouldn't need anything else. And really what we're saying is I wouldn't even need you. And that's why God closed that door. Oftentimes it is not much later that we realize why God steered us away from those situations. But why do we, need to why do we feel the need to constantly question God's Word when He rebukes us, cautions us, redirects us closer to His Father's heart? Aren't we like the child who, who kicks and screams and everything else when we pull it away from the electrical socket? It's because we don't trust Him. Too often we live a life that says, you know, Jesus, we're okay with you being a Savior, but we don't want you as a Lord. We want the benefit of the cross, but we don't want the cross for ourselves. We want the salvation, but we don't want the relationship or what it would cost us. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to His disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. And, not only, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So if we're going to identify with the Father, then we must submit to Him. We must be like Him. We must follow after Him. We must be willing to give up our old ways of living, our old ways of thinking, and our old ways of doing things, and be obedient to the thing that God's heart values. But the good news is, God doesn't call you a child out of your obedience. He calls you a child out of His love for you. And that's the second thing we learn about the Father's heart for Jesus. Is that God loved Jesus. This may seem like one of those yeah, duh statements. It may seem like something that is so elementary. But after God speaks into Jesus, His identity as His Son, He couples it with His love for Him. He reminds Him that you are my son. I am pleased with you. I love you. Not only does God assure Jesus once you are mine, He assures Him that second time that you are loved by Me. Jesus' identity rested in that declaration of God, declaring Him His Son, and the love of God that was spoken over Him. All of you in this room were a child of someone, but it is another thing to be a loved child, isn't it? 
Everyone has a mother and father, but not everyone has had a mother and father who they knew that loved them. And this is the reminder God gives Jesus. And it's also the reminder that He gives us. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what a great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. That's an awesome statement in the Bible and an awesome promise that John speaks into our lives. The identity that God has given you as His child has made strong in His great love. When we let this love shape our lives, it does more than we could ever imagine in changing our hearts to be more like Jesus. Let me show you an example. There was a story about a missionary who went to a particular village to share the love of Jesus. But he could not enter this village, he could not live among this tribe unless he married into the tribe. So the chief, because he was such an honored guest, brought out his most beautiful daughter to be married to this missionary. And the missionary, who was single, he, it wasn't a problem for him to marry this woman, but he felt a check in his spirit about it, that this was not the woman that he was to marry. And so he, he asked the chief, he said, well, don't, do you have any other daughters? I feel, I feel a check from my God. I feel that my God has someone else in, in mind for me. And the chief said, well, I have one other daughter that's not, that's not promised to anybody. He said, but I can't give her away. She's, uh, let's just say she's just not very good looking. She's ugly. She's snaggletooth. You know, she's, she's got zits. You know, one eye goes this way, one eye goes that way. I mean, she's just not the most attractive person on this planet. And he heard the father tell him, that's the one I want you to have. And so the missionary was obedient. He married this woman who, by the entire world standard, was just not somebody you'd want to have to spend the rest of your life with. Well, the missionary, after their, honey, their brief honeymoon, left that tribe and went to the other villages of the same tribe. And a few years later, circled back to this same tribe. And the chief looked at the woman who was with him and said, Who is that woman? I gave you my daughter. He goes, That is your daughter. This woman was so Beautiful. So pleasant to look at. She, her hair was done. She had, she had all the adornments that would make her beautiful to that tribe. She was confident. She was smiling. And it was all because her husband chose to love her as Jesus loved her. It gave her a confidence. It gave her a radiance. It gave her a beauty that shone all the way through her spirit and into her outside, that she was one of the most beautiful women that they had ever looked at. It was all because she had the assurance of her husband's love. The fact that Jesus was God's Son is crucial because it's that identity that shaped Jesus' ministry from the beginning. And it's also that out of that identity as a loved child that you can live the life that God has specifically for you. God had a plan from eternity past. Back before He said, let there be light. He had a beautiful plan for your life because He has that kind of transforming love for you. Amen. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, 35, reading from the New Living Translation. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we're killed. Every day we are being slaughtered by sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above nor in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Can somebody give me an amen this morning? Amen. That's an incredible promise in the Word of God. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Life could be crumbling around us, could be crumbling around you, can be crumbling around everyone else you know, but God still wants to build His kingdom through you even when everything in your life seems to be falling apart. And let me tell you this this morning. You're not too far gone to know the love of God. Your friends are not too far gone to know the love of God. Your family is not too far gone to know the love of God. Even that spouse you might not get along with isn't too far to know the love of God. Jesus was the best model of God's love that we have ever known because Jesus let the love of God shape His life. And in the same way, God invites us to know His love so that we can invite others to know His love. It's contagious. And the last thing we see about the Father heart for Jesus is this, is that God is pleased with Jesus. The last word God chooses to say at Jesus' baptism is this, with Him I am well pleased. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't done anything yet. All he's done has been a good kid to Mary and Joseph. All he's done is support his mom. All he's done is be a, a guy who makes sure his lawn is mowed and is a decent citizen in Nazareth and, and runs an a ethical business. He hasn't really done anything ministry-wise yet. And God says, with him I am well pleased. The Greek word for well pleased has the implications of God saying, I'm amazed by him. Or I delight in him. So it should not be read as though Jesus had to earn God's love or favor. Rather, it was out of the fact that Jesus took that step of baptism in obedience. That is what delighted the Father's heart. And he was overjoyed by his faithfulness. Some of you grew up in families where you had to earn the favor of your parents so that they could love you. I know what that feels like. That's not your Heavenly Father. God loves you right as you are. But He's even more overjoyed when we choose to walk in obedience so that He can see who we are becoming because we put our faith and hope in Him. Because He knows what is best for you. Because Jesus lived out His identity as a loved Son of God, 
He walked in obedience toward the person God made him. And since Jesus did that, we now have the good news to receive and share with others. So the big idea I want us to walk away with this morning is our identity as God's children will propel us into his purpose. As we move through this series of messages, we're going to see how Jesus' identity as a loved son shaped how he saw those around him and propelled him into a ministry that continues to impact and shape the world more than any of us could possibly imagine. Father God, many of us live lives that are so beneath where you want us to be because life has stripped away any imagination of how great you are. But if we truly believe that we are redeemed, that you have separated our sin as far as the east is from the west, if we truly believe that you have a new purpose and a new plan for our lives as we walk in obedience to you, then we should be shining like stars in the heaven. We should be the most joy-filled, contagiously full of happiness type people that exist on this planet. So Lord, I ask, Father, that you strip away all the lies that have been spoken over us. That you silence the voice of the enemy in our spirits. And you help us to cling on to what we have read and studied here this morning. Because the Word of God is living and powerful. It's meant to cut away all that trash and point us back to the One who loves us so much that He gave His one and only Son. So Lord, just speak into our hearts this morning. Let us walk away from this place renewed, refreshed, and refocused on the life that You would have us live, Father. Renew the mission, the vision, and the imagination that you have over our lives within each one of our spirits this morning, Lord. And I imagine your smile right now upon us, just waiting for us to take that step of faith, Lord. Because as the scripture we read this morning says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 